Stay tuned for Love Talk with Evelyn Davison. Love talking with Reverend Mike Northern about God's ministry of love. Thank you, Gavin. We are in studio today with one of my favorite people, and this is Evelyn Davison. I want to thank you for joining us for Love Talk here on today's Christian Talk, 1120, The Bridge, broadcasting out of Austin, Texas. We're going to talk uh, today about some things that God is doing, and uh, our guest today is Reverend Mike Norton. Uh, he is uh, past. Associate Pastor Gavin of First Baptist Church in Pflugerville. He's in charge of education, administration, and everything that needs to be done. Mike earned a Master of Religious Education from Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Fort Worth, and he served as the Associate Pastor of Education Administration at FBC in Pflugerville. Since 1998, he is also actively involved in the leadership in the SBTC Disaster Relief Ministry, plus a lot of other exciting things that God is doing. Welcome, Mike. We are so glad to have you today. Well, We're going to have a lot of things. Well, thank you for inviting me to join you this morning. What What's your day like already? Well, my day usually um, starts with the phone ringing and the text going off. <laughs> and uh, before I start work, forever I get to the office. Well, so. we're so glad to have you. I know Thank that you. you have two children. You have a son and a daughter. Yes. And, and your wife is Miss Sally. Yes, and we take care of my mother and her mother that both live with us. So you know, her. that has been um, such a g- great example of ministry. I know your dad was with you for a while, yes. and he had a great history. He was a patriot, wasn't he? Yes, he was a World War II vet. Sure mm-hmm. did. Was in the Navy. So. Yeah. You know, my dad was a World War II vet. Uh, he, in World War II, he was, um, we had a radio station, and they drafted him in spite of, you know, my brother and I, uh, because of the skills he had. And uh, we... You know, recently uh, was D-Day, and there was a lot of celebration in that. And we, we owe our wounded warriors and, and those who serve us in the military so much. Very much so. I think we, our younger generations have forgotten a lot of that. Yeah. They're not teaching it in school anymore, are they? <laughs> well, that is so true. However, uh, I this past week I did a prayer alliance out in a neighboring city, and there was a teacher there that uh, – and that told me that she had taught a six-hour training course uh, on history uh, to an elementary school. Uh, she's sort of an uh, educational director for different ministries or different um, seminars they have. And she said that I had sent her a thing about World War II and D-Day. And she said that the, the children, sixth grade level, were absolutely shocked. Wow. So we're in a place in our nation right now that we are in serious trouble, Mike, and uh, we want to go down the memory lane a little bit and talk about uh, ministry, especially that comes out of what uh, we call the body of Jesus Christ, the church. And so uh, let's talk talk about, you know, how it is that you got started. When did you really begin to pray and seek God's plan for your life? Well, not only was my dad a vet, but he was a Christian man who raised me in a Christian home. And we were one of those families that were very committed to serving God. And and we were there every time the doors were open, almost literally. Mm-hmm. So my whole life was the church. And at age 16, God began to reveal to me that he wanted me to serve in the gospel ministry. Ooh. And uh, uh, for some reason... Uh, I wanted to be a missionary because my home church was very mission-minded mm-hmm. and discipleship-oriented. So I learned a lot what it meant to share the gospel with people locally and all around the world. And I had an experience uh, one weekend where I went roller skating at one of the portable rolling rinks mm-hmm. and fell and broke my hand and could not find a doctor to fix my hand. I was in seventh grade. And um, right then and there, I decided I was going to be an orthopedic surgeon and I was going to be a missionary doctor. Well, it didn't turn out exactly that way. <laughs> no, you're a missionary doctor. <laughs> yeah. That part's right. But, uh, but the Lord was saying to me, I want you to serve my people in a very special way, mm. to love on them and show them how to love other people. And that's where, I've, where I'm at 45 years later. How would you meet Miss Sally? 
Well, I was on assignment in Corpus Christi during sem- in between semesters at Southwestern Seminary, and uh, I was there to help churches start their discipleship programs. And I was sent to Corpus because at that time I was in social ministry work, and I had a full beard and pretty long hair. Oh. So they didn't think anybody else would accept me but Corpus Christi. So I was down there for the summer, and because of my music background, uh, they asked me to lead music at a youth revival. And she was going to that church, and I, oh. I caught her eye, and she caught mine. And That's so sweet. Yeah. Wasn't you know, the Lord does have all. a plan for love. He, he does. does have a plan for love. He does. His plan to love us and then his plan to bring love into our life. Yes, ma'am. Well, what? What are the things that you're most excited about right now, Mike? This is we're living in a time that um, I think God is just speaking in so many different ways to us as individuals to be more like Jesus. Well, you know, I really like the things where we can one-on-one touch people's lives. I mean, literally touch them. Uh, social media and all that's good, but people need human touch. They need human contact. And so that's why I like things like Operation Christmas Child and Disaster Relief and a new thing we've got going on in our church called Community Connect. We are literally walking the neighborhoods and just walking by houses and praying for people before they have even met us. And then next Sunday we'll go by and we'll leave some information on the door about how we can minister to the hurts in their life. And then we come back a third week. And we pray again for them. But this time, we're knocking on the door. And we just say, what can we pray with you today about? And it's amazing uh, the responses and how God is using that because people are lacking that human touch. And they need it, Mike. Yes, ma'am. You know, that is the body of Christ. The church is the body of Christ. I I know this last Sunday, there was a couple that sat across from our pew, and um, I... I would just stay stationary, but Van went out greeting people, and he went over, and they had come as a result of somebody knocking on their door. Well, there was also another young lady there with two young children that came because someone stopped and prayed with her in uh-huh. her home. That is such an important part of, of being uh, actively involved in, in the work that the Lord's called us to do. And, uh, you know... Um, I think if I've got it right, our title for this initiative is Live Big, Live Bold. Is that right? Love Big, Live Bold. Is Love kind of our, Big, Live Bold. That's kind of our church motto right now. Love Big. What does that mean? Well, you know, we really have to go as far as we need to go. As to far as we need to go. For the gospel, to share with them that there's hope in the Lord. And uh, and and you have to be bold about that because it's not easy to approach people these days. They're very hesitant. Mm-hmm. They can, they're going to be taken advantage of. Or yes. Somebody's trying to sell something yeah. when we're trying to give something away that's free. Salvation through Jesus yes. Christ. Well, I, you know, I know music is something that's very special uh, to your heart. You uh, and a group from First Baptist in Pflugerville have a, a gospel group. Um, what is the name, and, and how did you all get that started? Well, it's called Heir to the Throne, A-I-R-E, which is a musical term. But oh. just our way of saying that we're breathing and living for the Lord and singing for him. In fact, many of our uh, songs speak about heaven and heaven being our home. You know, in all my life, I've been around music, and surprisingly, a lot of it's the church where I lo- learned to sing and love to uh, learn to sing, love to sing and listen to the music about Jesus and God and his love. You know, and I I like the the new contemporary music. I really do. You really do? I really okay. do. But I tell you what, it's amazing to watch the older adults when we sing for them, how they light up oh, and they, they feel the presence of the Lord when we sing hymn and gospel music, and it brings them back to that time of commitment in their life. And there's something about all that. So there's music for all ages. Uh, God loves it all. Mm-hmm. And it's still speaking about his love. And uh, so we try to embrace that. And we've been able to record some CDs. And people take those home with them. And we hear from them how Lord has blessed mm-hmm. them and how they've shared it with people all over the world, uh, hearing our music. And, you know, it's something we never thought of. I mean, 17, 18 years ago, we get, these are just six guys in our church that love to sing. Uh-huh. You know, we're, we're, not a, we're not a touring group. We're not, we don't make money out of it. We just love to sing. 
And so uh, that, that's kind of how it all got started. Well, you know, worship and worship does, uh, part of that is praise. Yes. And uh, we do it differently. Uh, tell me about the distinctiveness of the two worship services. Well, our first service, our 930 service, is geared more, we call it traditional, because it's it's more hymns and some choruses, mm-hmm. some of the older choruses. And then the uh, 11 o'clock service is contemporary. It's it's. It's more what you hear on the radio, on the Christian radio stations. Well, here's my thing. I, I think that the traditional hymns really are singing about God, mm-hmm. and we can worship in, even in that. Yes. But the contemporary is, is, man, it is singing to God about our love for him. They're both good. They're both special. In fact, in our contemporary service, many times they'll sing hymns. Mm-hmm. They'll take certain hymns, and they may change the arrangement, but they... We all love to sing to our Lord mm-hmm. and to feel his presence as we sing music. And he just fills us. I tell people all the time, if you want to get close to the Lord, throw away all that other music you listen to and listen to gospel, Christian mm-hmm. music, contemporary music, something that's talking about God and how he loves us. That is so true. I I I did not grow up in a Christian family. And uh, we my dad had a radio station and we played honky-tonk music. Uh, and some of that was very good, Mike. I, I have to admit that. But in in my little mind, when I was 12, 14 years old, I said, that is something I'll never do, is I'll never do radio. And would you believe that in Austin, we've done Love Talk now, we'll start 33 years. And, wow. You know, sometimes we, set, we start with what we think God uh, wants what we want. Exactly. I mean, we just have this little plan, and we say, okay, God, this is your order. You get this ready for me. But, you know, he has a life for each one of us individually, and and individually we have different needs to help us worship. And, you know, just studying God's Word is one, and that is so important uh, that we meet that need in every age. Yes, ma'am. Yeah, you know, I, I think back about my childhood and my bringing up, and my parents were so... Uh, focused on making sure that I had a education in the Lord and a discipleship mm-hmm. and being involved in church. Uh, little did they know that even when they named me Michael Wayne, yeah. Michael meaning angel and Wayne meaning wagon, that I would be a carrier of the gospel. How exciting. You know, and, and God knew that. My mom may or may not have known that, but somehow no, they prepared me for this. Did I always get to play the sports? No. Was I talented in those areas? Mm-hmm. Yes, I was. But that's not what my parents saw as important, and I'm glad they stuck with that because I needed it because today I am who I am because of that background and that experience. And, you know, it does take experience uh, as we grow in in knowledge of what God calls us to do, what his plan for us to do. And one of the most exciting scriptures I think we look at today is Jeremiah twenty nine eleven, when God says, I know the plans I have for you. They're plans for good and not evil. You might have a future and you might have hope. And that's why church is so important. It gives hope. It does. And uh, we try to bring hope and and through all our ministries, whatever we're doing, really our goal is not to build the size of our church mm-hmm. it's to let people know there is hope in christ absolutely jesus is our rope of hope and you know when we look at uh, the things that happen within the church community you know within a congregation the lord is working in each life each life in a different way sometimes than he worked in my life and uh we have to be open to the changes that that the younger generation need to feel the presence of the Lord. Most definitely. Uh, and and that's the, an important part of FBC of Pflugerville is the youth ministry. Yeah, there are some things that our older adults probably would not choose oh, yeah. if they could, but they realize that uh, we've got to get our younger generation prepared to take over and be the church after we're gone. Well, you know, it's um, it's like a family. Uh, church is God's family that is put together for the purpose of two things. Number one is to worship, and number two is to work. Yes, ma'am. Agree with that. 
And, and, you know, some of us work harder than others. (laughs) But the Lord has a plan for each one of us individually. But corporately, it is the plan that we would come together, that we would not forsake the what? The assembling of ourselves together, meeting together, encouraging one another, growing one another. Well, and when you get in trouble, you know, you first thing we do is pray, Lord, send help. Well, where does it normally come from? Yeah. It comes from men, men like Mike. And <laughs> well, the church is, is we, we try to build our church to respond to people's needs. Mm-hmm. Uh, we get in small groups. You get to know people. And when you have a hurt, your deacon, your Sunday school class, mm-hmm. your small group, they're right there with you, helping you through that time. Well, you know, we're not just a local congregation uh, with the ministries that that all of our church, I wouldn't say all of our churches, most churches have today, is that we have a, a way to have a national or international ministry. And one of the things I know that's so dear to your heart, and I, I just couldn't wait to get to this, is what we call Operation, Operation Christmas Child. How, tell us about that, Mike, and tell, I know that for years you were the main leader in the Austin area. Tell us how the Lord gave you that vision. Well, the church I was at before I came to Pflugerville in the Texarkana area, uh, the pastor's wife worked at a, at a bookstore, a Christian bookstore, and she came home one day with a brochure about Operation Christmas Child, and and. I, I was sort of halfway interested. I had a lot of things going on at the time, and but the Lord just began to impress on my heart the 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 importance of that. And it wasn't until I got to Pflugerville when I realized that I needed to give our people something to help them become more mission minded. And so we began Operation Christmas Child uh, at our church, and it has just exploded within two or three years so much that. We didn't have to take our boxes all the way to San Antonio anymore. We became a collection center. And before I knew it, we had 20 and 30 churches that were sub-collection sites. And they were collecting, uh, they'd be in Rockdale collecting boxes, and they'd bring it to our collection center. And we would take it to the processing centers. And on it would go to the international airports to go all over the world. And it's such a simple way to bring the truth and the love of Christ to children. I mean, I have gone to Lebanon, and I've gone to Panama, and I've seen the direct influence of Operation Christmas Child because of a child that got a box, and somebody said, Jesus loves you. Changed their lives. Changed their lives. You know, it it is an exciting project. Um, uh, I do boxes for girls. I usually do five or six. And all year I'm looking for things that little, and I like the younger girls, not the teenagers, but the younger ones. Because I never had girls. We just have boys. (laughs) And Van chooses the boys. Yes, I've heard that. He loves it. He, He buys basketballs or soccer balls, and he takes their out of it, and he packs it in a plastic shoe box. We, uh, Operation Christmas Child does provide pretty green boxes. Right. But because of the texture that he has, he puts in his. And then he gets a pump, and then he buys he buys some work gloves, and he stuffs that box. And he just can't wait. And normally we kick it off. Uh, when do we kick it off, Mike? Well. In July 1st, I guess. July, July August, we start preparing. Yeah. And then October we really get after it because mm-hmm. in November is when we collect them. And we are sending these off before Thanksgiving ever happens yeah. because they have to go through a final processing to meet the approval of the countries they're going to. You know that Operation Christmas Child, since they began this project, have have collected over 135 million shoeboxes to 150 countries. And there's 500,000 volunteers, 100,000 of those in this country, and 400,000 all across the world working on this project, and they have discipled more than 5 million children. So Samaritan's Purse that sponsors this, that Franklin Graham runs, doesn't stop with just giving them a shoebox. They go back into those places, Mm -hmm. and they try to disciple. Why do they do that? You disciple a child, he becomes an adult. Now he's a Christian parent. Then you have Christian children. It begins to change that village to be a Christian village. It, it It is a ministry that uh, God has blessed 
beyond anything I ever imagined. I I did not know about Operation Christmas Child until we came to Pluterville. And it has just been a real happy point in our life at Christmas time as we begin to think and plan for what is it that we can do. Of course, you know, as Southern Baptists, we have Lottie Moon. And Van says all, every year, when are we going to pay off Lottie Moon? Yeah. <laughs> Never, I hope, because Never. there's too many people that need to know the Lord. And that is a worldwide ministry as well. It's, but, you know, I have people involved in Operation Christmas Child that would not do anything mm-hmm. else in the church. They don't feel like they can teach or mm-hmm. be on a committee or being the food pantry, but they love this project, and they have found their place of service for the Lord through a project like this. You know, the other thing, as you mentioned already, is the pantry, uh, church pantry, (laughs) uh, feeding those that come through that need food. But there is a major, major activity, initiative going on right now that I want us to talk about. Really, it's one of the biggest ministries in in. In the whole state of Texas, I think, when we think about what we need in this state to minister, what do we need to do to minister to others? And um, it's called Disaster Relief of the SBTC in Texas. Let's talk about that, Mike. All right. Well, Disaster Relief is an organization that our state convention has put together, and we go to help people when an unexpected event has disrupted their normal way of life, and they have no other options of how to get out of this problem they have. And so we go to them and offer free helping them overcome this disaster situation. Mm -hmm. It may be feeding them. It may be watching their children while they're filling out the government paperwork or working on their home. We'll, We'll clean out the mud out of their home. We'll cut down the trees. We'll we'll make potable water for them. Uh, we do many, many things to fill the gap until they can get their uh, life back to normal. And we have that going on right now at our church. We have a kitchen set up, and we're the central location, and Red Cross is taking the food we cook to communities all around the Austin metro area, Bastrop, Giddings, Somerville, Cedar Creek, all these areas that were flooded. Mm-hmm. Flooded. You know, that is a mighty ministry, and, and I know that you're so involved in that, Mike, across the state, not just at our church. Uh, we've talked about a lot of things today, but one of the most interesting and, and pleasing things, I think, about ministry is that where does our strength come from? It comes from the Lord Jesus. Yes, ma'am. And uh, we, uh, we are in serious trouble in America right now. And we need some solutions for some of the problems that we have. So we have a message today from Dr. Steve Washburn that talks about what it is that we need to do. And we're going to play that uh, in a few minutes. But I want you to uh, give me a picture of Dr. Steve Washburn's heart for our nation. Can you do that? Well, this man who was raised by a single dad who was a country preacher, bivocational preacher, who is a veteran Marine from Vietnam, who worked for a large corporation when he came back in the computer industry, uh, just has a way of loving people and without any excuses, uh, straightforwardly telling you, this is what God says, Mm -hmm. this is his truth. Uh, If he steps on your toe, he hurts your feelings, he doesn't apologize for that because this is what God says. God's word. And we need to hear that. And he is so focused on helping our Christian community come back to being the salt and the light mm-hmm. that we need to be. And we have got to stop the slippery slope of tolerating things that God hates. Absolutely. Well, we are going to hear from Dr. Steve Washburn. He is pastor of First Baptist Church in Pflugerville, Texas. And, Mike, I want to thank you for being with us today. You've helped us have a bigger picture of what ministry is as we love the Lord Jesus and as we serve him. So stay tuned, and we'll hear with Dr. Steve Washburn right after this. Stay tuned for Love Talk with Ellen Davidson. Love Talking with Reverend Mike Northern about God's ministry of love.
Here is a message from Dr. Steve Washburn of First Baptist Church, Pflugerville, on the solutions for Christians in sharing the gospel love of Jesus Christ to reach a weary and worn-out people who need to personally know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. First Peter chapter 5. You can follow along in the app on your phone or your iPad or your tablet or your Nook, whatever electronic device, or you can... You can use your Bible. First Peter chapter 5. For the last several weeks, we've been turning to Scripture for clarity on uh, questions that continue to rise up in our own lives and subjects that are common among all of us. And this morning, we're going to look at our solutions, see what the Bible has to say about our solutions. Here's what we're going to find. God offers real solutions to life's real problems. And, you know, that's what we want. We don't want, we don't want phony solutions. You may, have, you may have heard about the old bachelor who was diagnosed with a terminal disease and given six months to live. And so he asked his doctor if there was anything he could do. And the doctor said, well, you, uh, my, my recommendation to you is to marry a woman with six small children, move to Oklahoma, and buy a hundred hogs. And the man was a little bit confused, thought about it for a moment. He said, well, doc, will that help me live longer? And the doctor said, oh, I doubt it, but it will be the longest six months of your life. That's, that's not the kind of solution we want. No matter what dilemma we're facing in life, we want, we want real solutions. If our life is totally out of control, don't send me to a time management seminar. Give me a real solution. I need help. I need help. If my priorities are upside down in life, don't patronize me. Give me some help. Give me some real solutions. If, if I'm making bad choices in life, don't buffer me from, from the consequences of those bad choices. Give me some real solutions. We want real solutions in life. And that's what we're going to be looking at here this morning. So follow along with me today. First Peter. Chapter 5, beginning in verse 5. This is the old apostle speaking. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Because, and he's quoting the Old Testament here, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that, so that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him because he cares for you. Be sober, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for anyone he can devour. Resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same sufferings are being experienced by your brothers in the world. Now, the God of grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ Jesus, will personally restore, establish, strengthen, and support you after you've suffered a little while. Chuck full of solutions. Let's do some problem solving. You say life is out of control and you just can't seem to succeed. That's a problem. That's a real problem. What is the Solution, Peter says here, trade your pride in exchange for success. The two seem unrelated, I know, but they're not. Look again at verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that 
he may exalt you. You see the connection there? Let me read it again. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. Here's the transition. So that, or as a result, he may exalt you. So the first thing we need to do here is to establish that God is the only one who can bring success in life. And I know some are going to say, that that can't be. Father, I mean, a pastor, you have, I know of people who are succeeding in life uh, who don't belong to the Lord. <clears throat> I think I would just say to you, I, I don't believe you do. I don't believe you do. You know, you know people who may have a lot of money who don't belong to the Lord. And you may know people who have a lot of power and prestige who don't belong to the Lord. But they're not really successful. If they were successful, their lives wouldn't be such a wreck. If you, were to, if you were to be able to dig into their lives and find out more about their lives, you would discover if they don't belong to the Lord, their lives are a wreck. They're, they're chasing happiness in every imaginable direction. If they were successful, they wouldn't be on their third and fourth marriage. That's not success. You know what that is? That's raising hogs. That's what that is. We're talking here about real success, genuine success. Only God can make us truly successful. We looked at this passage just a few Sundays ago, Proverbs 16, verse 3. Commit your activities to the Lord and your plans will be achieved. Some of your translations have your plans will succeed. Now that's success. That's the only way to achieve it. How do we commit our activities to the Lord is the question. Well, it involves pride. It involves our stubborn insistence that we can make ourselves successful. While in reality, if you think about our pride, our pride is about the biggest problem we have. Scripture says we will only be successful in life when we stop being prideful and humbly turn to God. This is interesting. Writing in the Harvard Business Review. Thomas Camaro Primusic, who's the CEO and business professor there at Harvard, said this. And I'm just going to read it. There is no bigger cliche in business psychology than the idea that high self-confidence is key to career success. It's time to debunk this myth. In fact, Low self-confidence is more likely to make you successful. After many years of researching and consulting on talent, I've come to the conclusion that self-confidence is only helpful when it's low. Sure, extreme low self-confidence is not helpful, but just, just low enough confidence may help you in the following three ways. One, lower self-confidence makes you pay attention to negative feedback, and be self-critical. Two, it can motivate you to work harder and prepare more. Three, it reduces the chances of coming across as arrogant or being deluded. In brief, if you're serious about your goals, low enough self-confidence can be your biggest ally to accomplish them. It's therefore time to debunk the myth. High self-confidence is not a blessing, and low self-confidence is not a curse. In fact, it is the other way around. Isn't that something? I think that's, I think that's revealing. Here's how it translates into the lives of those of us who follow the Lord, and here's how it translates into the truth of this passage. Low self-confidence helps us put our ultimate confidence in a living God. Who brings success? Are you hearing that? Low enough self-confidence. Humility around folks we know. Being humble before God puts us in a position of turning to God for ultimate success. That's what the passage says. Here's another this morning. We're talking about problem solving. Trade your worries in exchange for peace. This is one of the greatest truths in Scripture. Peter says this. I'm looking at verse 7. 
Cast all your care upon Him because He cares for you. Paul expands on that idea in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7. Don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses every thought, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Worry and peace cannot occupy the heart at the same time. One always drives the other out. I need to ask your permission to share with you a story that's a pretty old story. I wrote this down a long time ago, uh, personal experience, and I've used it a few times. When, when Linda and I were pastoring uh, the little church up in northeast Texas while we were in the seminary, I've shared this with you, we drove two hours out there and two hours back. Well, Sunday night, that drive back was always boring. A two-hour drive back with two little sons was boring. One night, on the way back, you have to drive, back then you had to drive a Tomorrow Market Road most of the way. Jarrett, who at the time was like first grade, he was a little bitty guy, he said, Dad, can I drive? It just horrified Linda. But we were on a Tomorrow Market Road. There's nobody out there, you know. Sure. Got him in my lap. This is before the laws of air. This is before airbags, period. No laws because there were no airbags. So Jarrett's sitting in my lap. He can't reach the pedals, so I'm operating the gas and the brakes. He puts his little hands up on the steering wheel, and we take off. And oh, he's driving along, you know, like this. He said, man, this is cool. You know, we're driving along. Car passes us. Oh, you know, he stays focused. Another car passes us. Oh, this is, this is scary. Then a big truck starts coming toward us. He's got his little hands, you know, on the steering wheel. He says, Dad, will you drive? I said, sure, sure, I'll drive. So I move my hand up on the steering wheel. Now I want to tell you something. He was never driving. He had his hands up there high on that steering wheel. I had my hand down here on the bottom. I was always in control of that car. He never was. But when he asked me to drive, two things happened. I moved my hand up there where he could see it and grabbed hold of it. And the other thing was he relaxed back in my lap. He said, man, that was scary. Was scary. Past tense. Not scary now. Was scary. When he asked me to drive, two things happened. I put my hand up there on the steering wheel, and he rested back in my lap. I'll take that back. Three things happened. When he asked me to drive, I put my hand up there. He rested back in my lap, and he had peace. He was still in the car. He was still behind the steering wheel. The truck was still burning down the road. It was still night. All those things were still the same. The only thing that changed was he had peace. When we go before God with our problems, who, by the way, has been in control the whole time. He's been in control the whole time. You you were never in control. When we go before God and say, God, I've got this problem. Will you take it? God says, I've always had it. God takes control in such a way that we can see it. We rest back in his lap and we're at peace. We're exchanging our anxiety for his peace. Let me tell you something. That's real problem solving. That's real problem solving. The rest of the stuff doesn't change. You're still in the situation you were in. You're still facing the dilemma you were facing. It still looks just as grim as it always looked. The difference is you've given control to him. And now you have peace. You need that kind of a solution to your problems? I do. When I give God my worries, He gives me peace, and that's problem solving. Here's another. Trade your slumber in exchange for protection. What do we need protection from? Look down there, verse 8. Be sober, be on alert. Your adversary, who? Who? 
The devil is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for anyone he can devour. Did you know before before the Dallas Cowboys, did you know that Dallas had a, a first and early professional football team? In 1954, they had a professional football team for one year. They were so bad, the franchise lasted for one year. They, they won one game and lost 11. Oh, they were out of there. You know what their name was? The Dallas Texans. Yeah. Before the Houston Texans, it was the Dallas Texans. They did their spring training out in Kerrville. You know, you know what Kerrville has in abundance? Snakes. <laughs> Lots of snakes. Well, they did their spring training there in Kerrville. You know, they mowed down a, a practice field. And uh, the first time a ball bounced out in those high weeds there by that practice field, these big burly football players all ran over there and they stood and they looked at that ball or looked where the ball went out there in the field. And none of them were willing to go out there into that field. Their, their equipment manager was a guy named Willie Garcia and Willie had a wooden leg. He had one wooden leg. He said, ah, get out of the way. I'll go out there. He said, I got a 50-50 chance they'll go for my wooden leg. <laughs> so he went out and got the ball. <laughs> Didn't get bit. You know, I need to correct him, though. Snakes can tell the difference between wood and, f- and flesh. Did you know that? He thought he had a 50-50 chance. He didn't. That snake, if he'd come across a snake, that snake would have gone for his, his, his real leg. I, we go through life thinking, I, I believe, we go through life thinking we have a 50-50 chance of being preyed on by Satan. That's not true. If we're not trusting the Lord, if we're not following the Lord, if we're not yielding to the Lord, if He's not in control of our lives, if we haven't released control of the steering wheel over His life, we have a 100% chance of being preyed upon by Satan. That's why He's saying, wake up, man. Get out of your slumber. You have an enemy. The evil one, the devil. Satan is his name. He's watching for you. He's out there in those tall weeds, and as you walk out there... In the midst of him, you're going to fall prey to him. You're going to fall prey to him. We grossly underestimate the power of Satan. In Luke chapter 22, verse 31, Jesus says, Satan has been given permission to do battle with those of us who belong to the Lord. And here in our passage, we're told to be alert and to watch for his attacks. And then, if you'll recall, in the Lord's model prayer, Jesus taught us to ask for protection from the evil one every morning. Deliver us from the evil one. You see, Satan doesn't care anything about us. It's just that if we belong to Jesus, about the only way he can wound Jesus is by attacking us. And he'll do it. He'll do it. I want to touch on one other thing before I leave the subject. And that's the question, why? Why did God give Satan permission to attack us? That's a deep subject. Remember, everything God does, He does out of His love for us. There in verse 9, you notice the verse begins with a reminder that we can resist Satan only by keeping our faith in God. It's really quite simple. God allows Satan to harass us so that we will turn our attention to him in the morning and keep our attention on him all through the day. Here's the promise. If we give God our attention, he'll give us protection. That's problem solving. That's real problem solving. That's not raising hogs. Here's one more. Trade your impatience in exchange for stability. If you have your Bibles there, look at verse 10. Peter mentions four powerful solutions God gives to the general problems in life. Peter says, God will restore or mend us back the way we should be without any defects. Then he says, God will establish... Or stand us up, make us stable like a rock. 
immovable, quiet, steadfast. Then he says, God will strengthen. This means he'll, he'll make us irrepressible. He'll make us unstoppable. My dad used to say, he'll make us mentally tough. And then finally, Peter says, God will support us. He'll hold us up from all sides. Here's the thing. Any person with those four attributes can handle about anything life throws at them. Let me tell you this. That's problem solving. Notice something with me here. God doesn't give these to beginners in the faith. You get these only... Can you tell there in verse 10? You get these only after you've suffered a little. Why do you suppose that's true? God gives these only to the one who patiently endures hardship while trusting God. Only to the one who endures hardship while patiently, patiently, patiently trusting in God. A man was once watching a stone wall being built, and he noticed a mason over there chiseling away at a stone and knocking big chunks off the stone and sanding it with a rough sander. And he walked over to the mason. He said, Sir, can you tell me what it is you're doing exactly? And he said, Well, this stone is going to go up there on the top of this wall. And he said, I have to chisel it and level it and sand it here so that it will fit when it gets up there. We ask the question, why? We don't want to hear the answer. Why is God asking me to trust Him and be patient while I'm going through this hardship? Why is God allowing that to happen? Here's the solution. God's chiseling and shaping and leveling and sanding us here so that we will fit up there. God doesn't want us raising hogs. God wants to give us real solutions to life's real problems. Pray with me. So many, Father, so many of the things we face in life are mystery to us. So many of the things you've included in Scripture are a mystery to us. Until we see you using those things to bring about loving, important, eternal solutions in our lives. We're just going to let go of the wheel here today and rest back in your arms. We're going to recognize and realize today we've never been in control. It's always been you. We're going to just trust you and accept your peace. We're going to let you shape us and mold us and chisel us and sand us all you want. We're going to patiently trust in you. as we see what it is you're doing. Hold us close here today. Speak gently to us here today of your great love. Remind us that we're your children. You're not only our king, you are our father. Everything you do in our lives, you do out of your great love for us.
we thank you for being there. We thank you for loving us. And we thank you for giving us real solutions to life's real problems. Take a moment, if you will. Keep your head bowed. Take a moment, if you will. don't know what part of this beautiful passage we've read today has spoken to you, but why don't you take just a moment. Just spend some time there with your Father. Thank Him for it. If during these last few moments it occurred to you that you really don't belong to Him, that you're not His son, you're not His daughter, you've never really given Him your life, you've really never trusted Him, You've, you've really never allowed Him to give you new birth, as Jesus calls it. Why don't you come this morning? Let's visit. Thank you. Uh, we thank you for joining us today here at the Bridge with Love Talk. And we especially pre- appreciate you, Mike, for being with us today and hearing this great message by Dr. Steve Washburn. We would say to you, uh, check us out at uh, lovetalknetwork.com uh, for the archives. This will be on our web in about a week. Call us on the Love Line at 512-249-6535. If you would like a Bible, You would like to come know the reality of the love of the Lord Jesus. It is so easy to do as you would come to recognize that you're lost and that he has a plan for your life. Uh, Give us a call on the love line, 512-249-6535, and we will be thrilled to help you find some good help and to furnish you with a free Bible. In the meantime, we pray that as you walk your walk this week, you'll spend a lot of time love talking with Jesus.